Thank you, Bailey, for sharing. Uh, before I uh, be, before we turn to the sermon, I want to pray for Bailey, and I also want to pray for a friend of our church. Uh, his name is Ricky Jones. He's a pastor at River Oaks in South Tulsa. Many of you probably know him. I, I've talked about him uh, several times. Uh, a good friend and mentor of mine. Uh, Ricky's having some health struggles. Uh, he's in the hospital right now uh, this morning, and so he asked that we would pray for him. And so we're going to pray for him. Um, his his kidneys are struggling, and so we're going to pray that the Lord would, would heal his kidneys and provide everything that Ricky needs so that he can get back to, to doing what he loves to do, serve the Lord and preach his word. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for all the ways that you're at work in this world, and we thank you for the ways that you have worked in Bailey's life, uh, for your faithful testimony that wherever he was, all over the world, you were with him, and you loved him, and you showed yourself to be a good shepherd even in times of suffering. And so I pray that he would remember that as he continues to go through sin and suffering in his life. You are his good shepherd, and you're with him. And we pray right now that you would be a good shepherd to Ricky, that you would be with him in the hospital as he uh, tries to recover. Uh, We pray for the doctors that you give them wisdom and skill as they treat him. Uh, We pray for your Holy Spirit that it would uh, revive and, and renew his soul even during this time. Uh, We pray, God, that you would show yourself to be a faithful and good shepherd. uh, That even as he goes to this dark valley, he would know that you're with him. That your rod and your staff, they protect him. And I pray that he would find comfort in that. Help us to love him well and to love his church well. We thank you for him. Thank you for your word, God. Would you help us to read it and meditate upon it now so that we might taste and see that you are good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, One of the new shows that my family has started watching is a show called Limitless with Chris Hensworth. Uh, If Chris Hensworth doesn't ring a bell, then maybe you know him by his uh, Marvel name, which is Thor. He is Thor in all of the Marvel movies. And so, as you can imagine, being Thor, he looks like Thor. He is built like Thor. Uh, He uh, looks like a a Norse god. Uh, Not me. I've never been confused with a Norse god. But Chris Hensworth, yes, possibly, right? Uh, Well, in this new show, Limitless, uh, he says in the trailer that he feels his immortality. I'm sorry, he feels his mortality. He feels his mortality. Even though he, he looks and feels great, he knows that the clock is ticking on his health and that he's not going to live forever. And so the whole purpose of Limitless is for him to go through a series of um, experiences that seek to promote longevity in his life. Uh, you know, they're, 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 he's, he's working with leading longevity experts, whatever that means, to extend his life. And so like in episode uh, one, he tries to stress proof his body by walking across a crane at the top of a building. No, thank you. If that's what it requires to live longer, I don't want to do it. It's okay. Uh, and then in episode two, he, um, he tries to shock his body by swimming in freezing cold water. Pretty much none of these I would do ever. Uh, In episode three, he tries to unlock the powers of anti-aging by fasting for four days. Uh, And then in episode five, he tries to climb a hundred foot rope to increase his strength. Or episode four, um, I'm just happy to get out of bed in the morning. Uh, In episode five, he tries to increase his memory by going off the grid and navigating without a GPS. What a sanctifying experience. Have you ever tried that? Uh, In episode six... He tries to fight anti-aging by going to a retirement facility, and he wears a suit that makes everything harder. And I'm sure the elderly people there really appreciated that. (laughs) Doing their water aerobics while Chris Hemsworth has a suit on beside them. 
It's, so it's fascinating to watch him in this show as he sort of struggles with the limits of his humanity, right? And it's entertaining for us. Uh, but we all know actually what it feels like to struggle with our limits. We live in these bodies every day, and we live as finite, mortal, frail human beings, right? We, we struggle, uh, literally, we, some of us struggle to get out of bed each morning. Uh, we might struggle to develop the, the strength or the bravery or the courage to, to say hard things when, we, when they need to be said. Uh, we might struggle to do our, our algebra homework or our chores, whatever's in front of us. Uh, we might um, find it impossible to coordinate all of our kids' activities so that we could somehow be uh, everywhere at once. Right? We might struggle to um, follow Jesus on a college campus where, uh, there, where all the forces are working against you. Uh, we struggle each day you know, with our agent. You know, some of us are uh, nearing the fourth quarter of life, or we're in the fourth quarter of life. And so we're seeing, the, we're seeing the end zone. And so we're wondering, how can we finish this race well? We struggle with our limitations. Uh, where do you see your limits? Where do you see that you are limited? And what do you, what do you really want in your heart of hearts? Is it, do you really want to be limitless? Or do you want a limitless God? Uh, I think in our heart of hearts, uh, what we want is we want a God. What we want and need is a God who is limitless. Uh, What if spiritual growth is found not by striving to be limitless, but by striving to trust an infinite God? What if being more human is not uh, becoming more like Chris Hemsworth or looking more like Thor, but actually becoming more human actually means acknowledging your limitations and that you're not going to look like Thor or live like Thor? Uh, What the Bible teaches is that the Christian God, the only true and living God, is limitless. He's infinite. We talk, when we say that God is infinite, we're saying that there's no limits on him. He is, as we're going to look at, he is not limited by time. He's not limited by space. He's not limited by any deficiencies in his character or in his virtue or in his personality. personality. He is whole. He is complete. He is perfect. And that true life comes not from becoming limitless ourselves, but from knowing and trusting a limitless God. That's what Isaiah tells us here in verses 40, in chapter 40, verses 12 through 17, as he describes this God. He says, Who has measured the waters in the hollows of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Who enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? He's saying that, that this God, our God is so great that all the waters of the oceans fit in his hand. He could, he could lap them up and drink them like we could. Uh, he's saying that the heavens are, are measured the way, you know, we might take out a tape measure, a red measure, a board. That, that God is so great, he can measure the heavens that way. Uh, he's saying that, you know, all the dust of the earth, when you go 
to the beach and you see all the sand everywhere, then that's like a giant, that's like a little sandbox for God. He's so great. There's, there's, he's greater than anything we could think or we could imagine. And then his, his spirit is everywhere. His spirit is filled with all knowledge. You look at verses 13 and 14. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? What man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult when he made, who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge? Who showed him the way of understanding? His knowledge and his being is infinite, right? Nobody can teach him anything. There's nothing that he can be taught. He has all knowledge, all wisdom. He knows the best way to do everything. And he has all the power to accomplish it. There's nobody like him. There's no gods like him. That's what verses 15 through 17 say. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands as fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for burnt offerings. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. Uh, he's saying that, that all, of these, all these false gods are really fake gods. They're really no gods at all. They don't have any weight. They don't have any substance. They don't have any reality. They're like, they're like a one little drop in a cosmic bucket that just disappears. They don't have any glory to them. He alone is the living and true God who's filled with all glory and all power and all honor. This is the true and living God. He's infinite. He's limitless. Right? And, and I think if we, the more that we begin to, to really meditate on who the God of the Bible is, the more we realize he's like nothing we can comprehend. He's incomprehensible. And, and that's, a, that's, that's the God we want. That's the God we need. Uh, when I was doing youth ministry, I remember once I was, I was meeting with one of my students. He was a junior high student. Junior high students ask really good questions. This is why I tell every prospective minister, like, if they want to be a pastor, you need to go teach junior high Sunday school. And if you can teach junior high day Sunday school, and if you can answer their questions and keep them engaged, then maybe you can become a pastor. That's not insulting you in any way. Right? But, so one time I'm hanging out with this junior high student, and we're, we're driving down the road, and we're talking about life, and he says, you know what, I, I don't think I can believe in the Christian view of God. And I said, really, why not? He says, because I can't comprehend him. I cannot comprehend this God. And I don't think that I can believe in a God that I cannot comprehend. And I said, well, you know, actually, the reason why I believe in the Christian God is because I can't comprehend him. I said, would you really want a God that you could comprehend? You're an eighth grader. (laughs) If you could comprehend him, he would not be God. He was like, oh, you're right. Thank you, Jesus. Thought about something. If you're struggling to comprehend this God that we're talking about, if, if this, the idea of him being greater than anything you can imagine is a struggle for you, welcome to the club. You're in good hands. For the first time, you might actually be coming in contact with the Lord of the universe. And that is good news because if God is infinite, then he is a God who can do three things for us that we desperately need. And that's what we're going to spend our time focusing on this morning. Because God is infinite, we can trust his infinite care. 
Because God is infinite, we can trust his infinite care. Because God is infinite, we can experience his infinite love. And because God is infinite, we can access his infinite resources. We can trust his infinite care. We can experience his infinite love. And we can access his infinite resources. Right? Um, God isn't limited by anything. He's not limited by time. We're going to talk about this next week when we talk about his eternality. So I'm not going to focus on it too much. Otherwise, I won't have anything to preach next week. But he's he's not like us. He's not limited in this moment-by-moment existence as we are. He is outside of time. And because of that, you can trust him with your time. You can trust him with the timing in your life. Right? Uh, I know, you know, especially, uh, I have this conversation a lot with our young adults. You know, and, and our, I talk, when I talk to our young adults, they're, they're so, um, they long, right, for all the, the good things of this world. They long uh, for a family. They long for a career. They long for uh, money so they can do the things that they dream of. And I just sense a lot of impatience with our young adults. And I would say, trust God's timing. He is, his timing is infinite. His timing is perfect. His timing is limitless. Don't limit him to your time. Trust him. He's not limited by time. He's not limited by, God's not limited by space. We talked about this last week. He he fills all, everywhere, with all of his presence. Uh, Think about the furthest uh, supernova in the furthest galaxy away from us. He is fully present there in that moment as he is here now. Uh, think about a blade of grass. He is, he is as present with a blade of grass out here at the Junior League as he is with the rocks in the Grand Canyon or the rocks on the moon. Uh, he is as present with you um, here right now as he was when you were little and as he will be when you are on your deathbed. God is not limited by space and time. Uh, he's not... He is not in everything. God is not everything. That's what pantheism said. Pantheism said God is everything. Christianity says that God is present everywhere with everything. And wherever he's present, he can work his holy will. But he doesn't relate to everything the same way. It's one of those mysteries of God. Yes, he can be as fully present in the supernova as he is right here, right now. But he relates to us differently in those two locations. Right now, he relates to us as a heavenly father meeting with his loving children. Um, God doesn't, uh, you know, God can be present with us on the golf course or on the couch, uh, but he's here, he's present with us in a special way. He relates to us differently here, and he actually promises to be with us here in worship. Uh, God relates to a Christian different than a non Christian. He's present with a non Christian, but he doesn't fill the non Christian with his spirit. And then all Christian doesn't cry out, Abba, Father, because he doesn't have God as his Father. And so he relates to us differently. He's not limited by space. And I think this is good news. Um, I, I remember uh, one time I was talking to a friend of mine, and I was shocked. This was a couple years ago. He's got a wife and a, and a few kids. And, and I was shocked when he told me that he had an app that allowed him to track all of his family members on his phone. I didn't know these apps existed. I mean, you guys probably did. Uh, but, but he was telling me, yeah, I know my daughter's here, my daughter's here, my daughter's here, my wife's here. Um, 
Now, I'm not saying this is I'm not saying this is a bad thing. There might be a good reason to have the location of all your family members and friends. I, I don't know. It's not a judgment on that. But the point is that God is the only one who is present and can be present with your friends and family members no matter where they are. This is important, especially for our mothers who are constantly worried about their children. You won't be able to be there with them wherever they go. But God is. And so we want to to teach them is to trust the God who is present with them wherever they go. Because God's not limited by space and he's not limited by time and he's not limited by imperfections. Uh, Matthew 5 tells us, he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Uh, God's, we, we talk about God's wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. We're going to confess that later. Those are, God has those in infinite measure. He has infinite power, infinite wisdom, infinite holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. He's whole and complete. He's not developing any of those things. He doesn't need to learn any of those things. And so because of that, we can trust that whatever God does is good and it's perfect. Um, We can trust his word to guide us. Um, What what if you read the Bible and and you really begin to come in contact with Jesus, you really begin to understand him, especially like the, the Matthew 5, 48. Right. That's in the Sermon on the Mount. If you read the Sermon on the Mount. And you just read it and you begin to to look at what Jesus actually asks you to do. It's actually crazy. Like it makes, in a human, humanly speaking, it makes absolutely no sense. It only makes sense if the teaching of the Mount comes from an infinite God who has infinite goodness and wisdom and holiness and justice. It comes back to his character. And we can trust his care. Um, we can tr- because of it, we can trust his word to follow it in every situation. Um, because God is infinite, we can trust his power and his goodness when we pray. We'll talk about this more later. But he's a father that only gives good gifts. And so we can trust him when we pray. We can trust God with our, with our court cases and with our career and with uh, uh, the government and with the whole world because he is perfect. Because he is perfect, we can trust his infinite care that he can perfectly take care of us. And the more we see his infinite nature, uh, the more we're going to be able to rest in his infinite care. Uh, I read a story this week about a pastor who was at a Bible study and he was teaching this chapter in Isaiah 40 and he was teaching on the greatness of God. And after the the Bible study, a woman came up to him and she said, you know, um, it's an odd thing. She said, right in the middle of the Bible study, it suddenly occurred to me that God was so great, I couldn't worry about my problems anymore. The bigger God appeared to me, the smaller my problems appeared. And I began to say, God's going to take care of them. He's going to take care of them. She said, it's amazing. I feel so good. When we experience the sin and suffering in this life, The way to peace is not for us to try to become limitless people that control everything, but to get a bigger view of our infinite God who does control everything. 
And it's there that we can trust his infinite care. What are you struggling with today? What is making you anxious? What's making you depressed? What's making you worried? There's an infinite God that infinitely cares for you. Trusting him right now means resting in his care and his love. We want to do that, but we don't, right? But we struggle to do it. That's that, that's that prayer. I believe, Lord, I believe you're infinite. But help my unbelief. Right? And the root of our sin is this idea that God is not God and we are. That's what Satan tempted us with in the garden, right? That's what he tempted Adam with. You, if you eat this fruit, you can be like God. And now the way that we try to be like God is we want to be all present. We want to be all powerful. We want to be all knowledgeable. We actually put ourselves in the place of God. Uh, those attributes are often called the omni attributes of God. His omnipresence, his omni power, his omni knowledge, right? What we do in our sinful nature is we grab on to the omni-attributes of God. And it is grabbing on to that omni-attributes of God that actually is part of our sinfulness that leads to the sin and misery in our lives. But it's because of God's infinite love for us that He actually came to rescue us from being our own God. And that's what we see in this passage that we read for our call to worship, right? Um, John the Baptist is coming on the scene and he is preaching. He's saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. He's baptizing people and everybody are coming up to him and they're saying, hey, John, who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you this? Are you that? And, and, and John the Baptist tells him plainly, I am not the Christ. He is saying, I am not God. And then when Jesus finally shows up on the scene, he sees Jesus, and what does he say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is he saying? He's saying, there it is. There's the Christ. There's the Savior. He's the one who's come to save us from our sins. He's saying, this is the guy that I was talking about. He ranks before me because he existed before I was born. He was there before I became into power. He was the powerful one. Uh, what John is saying through the, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit is that Jesus was in heaven, the eternal son of God. He was infinite. And yet when he became a man, he became finite. He was infinitely powerful. Yet when he became a man, he, he allowed his power to be limited, to become like us. He was infinitely knowledgeable, but then as he, when he became a man, he allowed his knowledge to be limited. He was saying this, this Jesus, this person, he is the infinite God who has come to save us from our sins. And what sin is that? It is the sin of being our own gods. It is the sin of, of thinking that we are in control of this world and not allowing God to be in control of this world. And the good news of the gospel is this, that the infinite Lord of the universe loved us so much with his infinite love that he gave his only son for us. <laughs> that all those attributes of God find their fulfillment in the infinite love of Jesus. 
And so because God is infinite, we can experience his infinite love. When you look at the sacrifice on the cross, you see how valuable you are and how much God was willing to pay for you. Uh, my kids like to collect coins, especially Tucker. I've probably told you this before. And every now and then, Tucker will find one of his coins. He'll be like, Dad, this is a wheat penny. It's a 1934 GBZ or whatever. And he'll ask me, say, Dad, how much do you think this penny is worth? And I don't know why he asked me that. Because, one, I, don't, I have no clue how much a coin collector would pay for this penny. And I always tell him the same answer. And here's the answer. I say, that penny is worth whatever somebody is willing to pay for it. If somebody wants to pay you a million dollars for that penny, then it's worth a million dollars. It's worth whatever someone is willing to pay for it. You and me, the church, everyone that God will save is worth exactly what God was willing to pay for it. And he was willing to give his only son for us. And the more you press into the infinite love of God poured out for you on the cross, the more that you experience his infinite love on a daily basis. And it's that infinite love of God that allows you to confess, I am not the Christ. If you, if you want to know what it looks like to become a Christian, one of the, one of the prayers that you can pray, one of the first uh, promptings of the Holy Spirit is for you to look at your life and go, I'm not the Christ. I'm not God. If you want to know what it looks like to be growing in the Spirit, to becoming a stronger, healthier Christian, it's you being able to look at your life and go, I'm not the Christ. It's your, your kids running up to you and they want so much from you and you are able to go, I'm not the Christ, but I know who it is. And so I'm going to give you Jesus in this moment. It's for you, fathers or, or workers, employees, whoever is, is going out and into the workforce to be able to look at your coworkers, your employees, uh, your friends in the workplace, and to have all these needs, these wants, these desires that you can't meet. It, spiritual growth looks like, you, looks like you go on, I'm not the Christ. I can't do it all. Um, spouses, you beginning to love your spouse uh, with, with the love of Jesus means looking at your spouse and going, I'm not the Christ. There's only one Christ, and I am it. And it's as we confess that we are not the Christ, when we begin to plunge into this beautiful, wonderful, powerful journey of knowing the God who is infinite. And, and um, that's, I mean, that's where... Man, the, the Christian life just is fun and exciting and, and just, man, it, it cranks my jets, right? Uh, I remember one time uh, I was talking with some high school students in a Bible study, and this girl just said, you know, I just find the Christian life kind of boring. And I just want to be like, then you're not really living the Christian life. If you find the infinite Lord of the universe boring, then you're just not really trying to follow him. There's so much more to be had. And, and that, what happens in heaven is actually just a continuation of what happens in this life. We begin to explore this, the infinite love of God in this life. Now think about this. 
You get to heaven, and you, heaven is spent exploring the infinite wonders of the Lord of the universe for eternity. We're going to wake up every day in eternity and go, wow, God, I can't believe that. I can't believe you, I can't believe you love this way. I can't believe you provide this way. I can't believe you care for us this way. I can't believe what you're doing. All because you were infinite and we're not. That's the Christian life. That's, that's what it looks like to grow in the Christian life. And it's because we, he is this, this, his infinite care and because he has this infinite love for us that we can even go to him in this life and access his infinite resources. Uh, in John 13 through 17, Jesus spends the final night with his disciples and he's given the, the, uh, the pregame speech. He's letting them know, hey, this is what's about to happen. Here's all the instructions you need for whenever I'm gone. And he, he tells them that they're going to abide. If they abide in him, they will bear much fruit. And in there he says, ask. Ask the Lord for fruit. And he's going to give you whatever you, he's going to give you, whatever you ask for. And we look at that as uh, Presbyterians are like, whoa, Nelly. Like, wait, wait a minute, Jesus. You can't really be saying, ask for anything. And the, the text really does hint at Jesus saying, anything, ask for anything, no matter how big, no matter how little, ask for it. If you, if you think that, that something is going to promote the kingdom, if it falls in line with the, willing, with the will of God that you see in his word, ask for it. Ask for it. And I think the reason why Jesus is telling us that is because he knows that his father has infinite resources, that whatever we need to promote the kingdom, to grow in godliness, to bear fruit, God can provide for it. His resources are unlimited. And Jesus knows that the father is going to give us everything we need because he gave his son for us. If God, if God gave his only son for us, how would he not also graciously give us everything we need? And how can we come to him with, with limited prayers? How can we limit him in our prayer life? We can't. If he's the Lord of the universe who loves us so much and he gave his only son for us, then why don't we ask for it? And why don't we trust him with it? Uh, there, when I was in uh, campus minister in RUF, uh, that was the name of our campus ministry, there was a story that was, that was floating around. Uh, it was one of those fundraising stories. And it's probably mythical, but you get the point, right? Uh, but the story is that there was this campus minister, and he, he, he arranged a meeting with a very wealthy donor. You know, it was, I think it was one of those uh, oil men in West Texas. And this donor was so wealthy that he not only had his own plane, but he had his own airstrip, Right? And, and so this campus minister had arranged this meeting so he could ask for a donation for his campus ministry. And so he, he, he finally, um, you know, he was afraid, but he musters up the courage to go meet with this man. And he sits down with him and he does, you know, he, he casts his pitch. He tells him all about his ministry and all the great things they're going to do for the kingdom. And, and he finally gets to the point where he's going to make his ask. And he, he's so nervous about asking from this donor. And he gives what he thinks is a big ask. He asked him for like $5,000, which is a lot of money. And when he, when, he, when he asks for that donation, the man kind of looks disappointed. Kind of like, okay, yeah, I can give you, you $5,000. And the guy's like, 
All right, thanks. So he writes him a check for $5,000 and he leaves and he goes away and he's talking with somebody else about the donation. He's like, yeah, I finally got the, uh, I mustered up the courage to, to ask him for $5,000. And somebody tells him, you don't ask him for $5,000? He's like, well, well, yeah. And they said, well, crew, the other campus ministry, met with him the day before you. And they asked him for $500,000. And he was delighted to write them a check. Our Heavenly Father is the infinite, eternal, unchangeable Lord of the universe. His resources are infinite. Don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask for something big. Don't be afraid to ask for something important. Don't be afraid to ask for the deepest desire of your heart. If it is according to his will and if it promotes his kingdom, then ask and trust him to respond. And here's what we know about our Heavenly Father. He will always give us exactly what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. Let me say that again. He will always give us exactly what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. You're going to pray. You're going to ask for stuff. And he's, he's not always going to answer it the way that you would have liked or the way that you would have wanted. But he will always ask you exactly. He will always give you exactly what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. Because he's a good father and he loves us and he only gives good gifts to his children. That's what it looks like to grow in the spirit, to know God. It's not for you to become limitless, but for you to grow in your knowledge of a limitless God who loves you with a limitless love. Let's pray that God would help us do that.